Hi, I'm David Wu, a former Wall Street macro strategist turned blogger. I panic right now about the unintended consequence of Biden's total war against Russia. Howard. Guess what's happening? Uh, you are back in uh, the land of the living. That's right. It is May 2022. The last, we were in the middle, not because I was stuck with COVID in the Bahamas, but we were in the middle of a panic, Knut, and, and it wasn't about getting me out of the Bahamas. In fact, I was starting to enjoy <laughs> the comforts of my Bahamas residence, but uh, there is a market panic going on right now. And the last time we really had one was March 2020, which is why we started the show. And back then it was you and me in a room uh, giving each other COVID for a year and uh, (laughs) doing our part to contain COVID to just the two of us. And here we are two and two years plus later, and the VIX is comfortably back above 30. Tech stocks are in a complete free fall. You know, the laser eye crypto people are now uh, barfing up their crypto. Bitcoin is threatening to break 30,000. Uh, again, we try and keep these timely, but at, at certain points of the market, for, for, for me going back and pointing to these later, you know, sometimes it's just important to have a mark in time here because uh, we've so long been in this, you know, tech boom that's quickly become a tech wreck. And that it's important to to mark this stuff in time. So I wanted to start having some favorite thinkers on global macro here, because all of a sudden interest rates can have gone from the 10 years gone from zero to three percent, which, you know, zero to three doesn't sound like a big move. But the speed and of which we've gone from zero to three is what makes it interesting or not interesting, but makes it dangerous and, and filled with unintended consequences. So today from Israel. A person that I recently met, uh, but had been referred to me for years by my friend Doug Horlick, is uh, David Wu. And he's the author of Unbound, which is a blog and, and now a podcast and a YouTube show, um, which is a global forum devoted to the promotion of fact-based debates about markets, politics, and economics. And you right there, you lose me, you know, because StockTwits is my, my forum and there's anything about uh, fair debate going on. It's just people yelling at each other, which is part of the charm of why I love community. But David um, Knute uh, started this Unbound, and he is qualified to chime in on this. He was previously the head of global interest rates, foreign exchange, emerging market fixed income, and economics research at Bank of America. That is a good title. Yeah. So he left the glorious world of mahogany desks and um, the Blackberry to the world of YouTube and blogging. So I want to talk about it. He lives in Israel. He's married an Israeli woman. He's left the accoutrements of Bank of America and the herd of Merrill Lynch. But he's made some incredible calls over the years, obviously. He's been on a lot of great podcasts. And we met in Israel, had a really fine breakfast and discussion about things. 
And what a great time to have someone talk about global macro. And he has some really strong opinions and, and, and forecasts and ideas that I thought we should share. So, Knut, are we good? Yes, we are. And let's get to, to take one guess. How do you spell woo? Um, I don't know. W-O-O. <laughs> okay. So, easy guess name to remember. David Wu. Let's get him up. David! Hello! Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. Global macro finally matters. We lost global macro, it seems, when rates headed to zero. What is it about today that has you... I mean, there's so much going on in global macro, but what is the pivot? What what should people be focused on? Honestly, I think, you know, people should focus on things that's never happened before. And there's one thing that's never happened before, which is what the U.S. is now doing to Russia. Now, I think, you know, until now, I think politicians have been much too complacent about the economic consequences of what they're doing to Russia in terms of the economic sanctions. Because, you know, let's be honest here. The sanctions that they decided to impose on Russia are absolutely unprecedented. In fact, they never even went this far with North Korea, with Iran. And you're talking about doing this to the largest oil exporter in the world in 2021. You're talking about doing this to the largest, basically, exporter of nickel, that major producer of coal, natural gas, steel, iron ore, you name it. So from that point of view, if you thought that COVID basically hit the world with shortage, we're now basically living through this self-imposed shortage as a result of this economic war that is now being basically launched against Russia. And I think, honestly, our leaders, as well as the leaders in Europe, are still in denial about what this really means for the world economy. And I think, you know, honestly, I think most of last, the market was also in denial. But almost sudden, this has come back with a vengeance. Now, just think about this last week, right? Last week, the big story should have been, oh, you know, Powell took 75 basis point hike off the table. The market breathed a sigh of relief. The market had a basically relief rally. Sell the rumor by the fact, kind of basically a story, you know, last week. But instead, Last week's price action was all about escalating tension between U.S. and Russia. On Wednesday, you had the New York Times quoting unnamed White House official saying that U.S. intelligence is helping Ukrainians kill Russian generals. On Thursday, you have Washington Post reporting that U.S. intelligence helped the Ukrainians sink Moscow, which is the Russian, basically, uh, ship in the Black Sea. I mean... Honestly, Howard, it's beyond me why the Biden administration official want to even, you know, publicize this kind of very sensitive information. I think the only explanation I can come up with is perhaps they're trying to basically, uh, you know, they're trying to provoke Putin into basically starting a wider war. In fact, what was interesting to me was the fact mm. that the New York Times article, in fact, said that White House officials don't understand why Putin hasn't already escalated the conflict, given everything's been done to him. That's scary. That is scary. It's something that Knut and I have not talked about. I've been I've been away on a foreign island fighting off uh, fake COVID. And by fake COVID, I mean I didn't, I had the symptoms for a week, but I didn't have the disease. So thankfully, the vaccines probably worked its magic on me 
So really interesting thought there about the return of COVID, but this is this is more of a long-term economic problem that tech can't solve. So in the first go-around with supply shock, tech solved everything. In this go-around, I agree with you that it seems like the Fed could care less about the markets, or at least this version of the Fed governed by a left that can't get along on anything and doesn't seem to have clear policy. The Fed just seems as behind as ever without a president that cares about the stock market. You know, one thing that we could count on Trump for is he blinked when the stock market blinked. He was predictable. I think what we can count on from Biden is we can't count on anything. Like, you know, we haven't heard from anybody with respect to the markets other than Elizabeth Warren, who could care less and seems like she'd be happy if the markets were zero. So so that's an interesting take. So let's go with that a little further. What does that mean for the market? So what you're saying is last week, the, the initial relief rally was so quickly sold off and continues this this week. Yep. And so what what is going to happen next? Yeah, because think about this. But, but what really happened last week? You know, normally when interest rates go up, the dollar goes up. Okay, so, you know, the stock market can still take that. But usually when interest rates go up, the dollar goes up, oil price goes down. Last week, oil basically went through the roof. In fact, you know what? S&P energy sector went up 10%. If it hadn't been for that 10% rally and basically energy stocks, like S&P would have been down a lot more. Last week, oil price was up 6%. No surprise there. Everything else was down. Because everybody realizes global economic momentum is already slowing. If the EU is now going to basically you know, impose a total embargo on Russian oil. I mean, the latest news, I don't know if you've heard, I mean, the EU now wants to ban, you know, insuring ships that carry Russian oil. You know what that means? Because like 95% of the world's oil tankers are insured by European companies. So if Europe basically says no more insuring ships that carry Russian oil, that's like zero Russian oil going to the world market. You're talking about 7.8 million barrels of oil per day that's going to be like taken off. It's like 10% of the, the world's oil supply just going to vanish into mid-year. And then basically last week, you know, OPEC just basically said fuck you to Biden by only increasing production by a little tiny bit as Got it. basically scheduled. So as a result, we're going to think about this. Last week, people were already peeing their pants thinking, oh, wow, Beijing is about to adopt the Shanghai-style lockdown because COVID is not going away in China. So oil price should have gone down because China is such a major consumer of commodities and yet oil price went through the roof. I think that is really the story, which is, you know what? We can take the Fed hiking rates. We can even take a stronger dollar. We can even take China basically like dealing with, but we cannot take a massive negative supply shock to the world's production oil. I don't have to tell you, I mean, how. Seven out of the last nine recessions were brought on by a spike in energy price. That is the bottom line. And by the way, $110 a barrel doesn't even tell you how expensive oil is because the dollar has been the strongest currency this year in the world. Correct. As a result, the purchasing power of the rest of the world for oil has gone down another 10% because they pay in dollars, but they still have to buy the dollars with their domestic currencies, which is now worth less. So from the point of view of the whole world, I mean, this energy shock, it's a real big one. There's no doubt about it. And tell me... What kind of news would you need to see then to relieve this pressure? 
I think right now, I'll be honest, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it might seem absurd now. I mean, I, I can tell you, for me, there's only one thing. Listen, nobody wants to see World War III. So from that point of view, this is the last thing I want to see. But you're exactly right. We need to basically like have in the back of our head, like what has to happen for me to get bullish in the market, right? right? Because I've been saying like the more this war gets worse, the more sanctions Biden imposes on Russia, stock markets is going to go down faster because we're just going to be approaching even faster to the next recession. By the way, let's not forget, you know, Russia and Ukraine have been going back and forth skirmishes. In 2014, the market didn't give a damn. The only reason why the market and the global economy gives a damn about this war is because of the economic sanctions. So from that point of view, therefore, the issue here right now is what would it take for the sanctions to be lessened, right? I mean, that is the only question. Now, let's put it this way. One way you can say this is that, okay, fine. If tomorrow Putin drops dead, whatever, he's assassinated or he dies of something, maybe someone else comes in, the U.S. drops the sanction, who knows? Right. But that is very far-fetched. That's a very low probability yep. event in my, in my book. Or, because I can tell you, there is no chance of a coup in Russia. In fact, you know, I recently went into partnership with Rewe, which is a Canadian startup that is the leader in online survey. And we've been serving Russians every single day, and Ukrainians, by the way. And I can tell you, right now, the most amazing thing is that just how little affected the Russian people had been, had been subject to economic sanctions so far. Believe it or not. I mean, this is what people don't realize. The Russian ruble has been the strongest currency in the world since the day Putin invaded Ukraine. Right, it crashed, but then firmed up. Oh, it, 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 no, actually now it's not just firmed up. It's actually gone back above the level the day that they invaded the Ukraine. They're 14% stronger against the U.S. dollar when the dollar is like 10% stronger against everything else. So just give you a sense like how strong the ruble is. And the reason why the ruble is so strong, I can tell you why. It's very simple. Russia was already running a massive current account surplus Correct. before the crisis, right? They export almost twice as much as they import. And also remember, they export primarily commodities, which are difficult to find substitutes for. They import primarily manufactured goods, which, relatively speaking, easier <laughs> to find substitutes. For one thing, they can buy cheaper versions in India and China, whatever they were importing from Europe. As a result, ironically, the economic sanctions, I think all it's done is I think the Russian current account surplus might have even improved since they invaded Ukraine. Moreover, Russia is also a net capital exporter, meaning that, you know, I mean, I don't tell you, more Russians buy apartments in London than basically British people buy apartments in Russia. <laughs> right? Correct. So with the economic sanctions, the Russian money has no place to go. So they stay home. So as a result, both the Russian current account and capital account has seen a massive improvement. This is the reason why the currency has done so well. This is why inflation in Russia is less of a problem than, most, than many other countries, by the way. And I, I can see this very clearly in my surveys. So he's gotten himself, because of the dollar and their strength in commodities and the fact that the surpluses are hurting the U.S. economy, the Russia has gotten relatively stronger from the... From, and if, as long as the people are still with them. Russia, in many ways, has gotten stronger from the, relatively from the sanctions. Exactly. And then, by the way, Biden doesn't understand history. I mean, let me tell you this. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously, I lived, I lived a lot of places in Milwaukee. I mean, I mean, you know, I, as a teenager, I love Russian literature. So I've read a lot of Russian literature. I know quite a bit about Russian history as well. I can tell you one thing about the Russians. You know, as a people, 
during normal times, the Russians just like everybody else. But during crisis, especially when Russia's invaded, that's when the Russian people come together, then step it up, they mobilize, and then they become an exceptional people. And I don't think Biden understands. Like, he's really seriously woken up the dragon here. Like, I tell you, the Russians beat Napoleon's ass, just like they beat Hitler's ass. If it hadn't been for the Russians, you know what? We'd probably all be speaking German right now. Basically, the Russian, the Soviet defeat of Hitler on the Eastern Front was decisive in terms of the turning, basically, of the Second World War. I'm not trying to tell you that the Russians are better people than anybody else. I'm just telling you, I don't know any of the people who are as patriotic as the Russians, and most importantly, who are capable of suffering as much as the Russians. Yeah, the suffering part, for sure. I mean, they're that, suffering. Their whole history is one long misery. Yeah. I mean, it was not the Mongolian invasion. Then it was basically, you know, I mean, until the 19th century, like 85% of Russians were serfs, basically slaves. And then they were sent to Gulag. I mean, these, these people don't know happiness. Speaking of don't know happiness, let's switch back to America. So it, it, the opposite of suffering is what Americans do. So in a world where our current government get Russia wrong, and by Russia wrong in the macro sense, it's more of the same, which leads to an acceleration of the selling because they're pushing on the wrong strings. What other things from a macro perspective do they try? So, so right now they're, they're raising rates to try and battle inflation. And you're saying it's pulling on a string. It probably won't work because the, the opposite effects are, are happening from the sanctions. What else are we getting wrong that's not factored in here? Or what can we get right that would potentially stop uh, the meltdown? Well, you know, listen, I mean, Biden can tomorrow say, you know what, let's drill, 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 baby, drill. Okay. Now, obviously, that will help alleviate, you know, a lot of the energy issue in the system, but they don't want to go there. I mean, it's not something you can turn on tomorrow. And by the way, other than that, last week, I don't have to tell you, like, you know, the energy department actually announced they're going to start to replenish the U.S. oil reserves <laughs> they had released over the last few months to basically ease oil price. I mean, are these people insane? Do they know no economics? So they're spending right? more at these high prices to replenish. Yeah. I mean, I mean, were they thinking three months ago when they decided to release 150 million barrels that they were going to have a problem and then they're going to have to replenish and the market is forward looking? <laughs> so like, what have you accomplished? Nothing. This is why the market doesn't believe them. You know, and, and again, you, you're, people want the Fed to come in, save them. But this war, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I have no doubt. Okay, I mean, listen, last week, we have to remember one thing. The Fed gets basically a preview of the non-farm payroll. In other words, last Wednesday, when they decided to hike 50 basis points, they knew non-farm payroll was going to surprise to the upside. Okay? Yet... Powell dismissed out of hand the possibility of a 75 basis point hike. And I can tell you why. It's very simple. Because I'm sure Powell is as concerned as I am about the economic cost of this war against Russia. Got it. Powell probably, you know, agrees with me. The stock market is about to crash. And my prediction is that we're going to be in a recession before Thanksgiving. And the markets will be going much lower. But 
I just think Powell cannot verbalize it. He doesn't want to scare the market. And he certainly doesn't want to become across as basically saying that this war against Russia is very dangerous <laughs> for the U.S. economy. But not but that's saying what's really it, going on. But not saying it is scaring it because it's a slow bleed instead of rip the bandaid off and let's review. Let's let's talk about everything right now. They're not even talking about what could be what you're saying. And you've been right about a lot of this stuff before. What you're saying is the trigger for an accelerating sell-off. They don't even have on the table, which is like, hey, man, sanctions are working. Uh, give it time. Um, but, you know, our complete lack of of dealing with these shortages and forgetting us, Europe's in worse position than us, I imagine, with energy. So and 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 the euro's weak. So they're paying even more with the U.S. dollar being strong. So what? when does it become noisy enough for the U.S.? Like when, when can things change? When does policy change? I think the change? only time things are going to change. There are two issues here. Let's think about this, okay? Right now, what is very clear to me is this. The Biden administration understands that, you know, you know there's a Chinese saying, once you mount the back of a tiger, you can't get off without being eaten by the tiger. And I think the U.S. has found itself exactly in that position. The U.S. is going all in because there's no turning back. Because if, let's just say, you know, Putin finishes what he's trying to wrap up now in Eastern Ukraine, you know, basically, I mean, it's right now, by the way, Russia has already conquered right. an area that's about the size of entire Great Britain, by the way. I'm talking about conquering. I'm not just talking about having soldiers there. They've already put in mayors. They've already put rubo into circulation. I mean, the Russians, by the way, they're doing a lot better then our government or our media will like you to basically believe. They're doing a lot better. Now, this is why there is a propaganda war here. There's a war information, disinformation. But my point here is, if Putin actually finishes all that, you know what? If Putin wins this war, this will basically blow up any credibility when it comes to U.S. foreign policy for the next 100 years. This is why the Biden administration cannot afford to get off the tiger because he's going to be eaten by it. The U.S. will become the laughing stock of the world because already, like, you know, you think about this. You know, you're talking about countries like Brazil, India, China, South Africa. All these countries are right now behind basically Putin, by the way, saying there was the U.S. that provoked him into basically invading Ukraine. So you can just imagine even Europe will probably balk against America. So this is why, like, you know, you take one little step you take a wrong step, you just keep going down this path. There's no pulling back. And this is why it's such a dangerous situation for the market, for the economy. Because we've got a president that's going down this very slippery slope. He cannot pull back. Not to mention the fact that we now know from, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, even CNN, that, you know, very soon Hunter Biden is going to be indicted for tax fraud, for money laundering, and for foreign lobbying. And soon after that, people are going to start asking, oh, well, what about that email about like the big man, whatever, that kind of thing. So, and all this has to do with Ukraine because Hunter Biden's involvement was primarily in Ukraine. So this is what I'm saying. In some sense, if you're the president, you've already gone down this path. You cannot pull back because people are going to start to you know, wonder why. And that's why the situation is, for me as a macro guy, this is a beautiful situation because you just sell, sell and sell. Because you know it, there is no checks and balance in the system anymore. I think at least, let's put it this way. I think if S&P goes down 30%, Biden might come under pressure to start to ease off on sanctions. 
But the S&P has to go down. I've been saying this for at least a month now. S&P goes down 30%, you know, Biden is going to start hearing it from the business community. Then you will have to basically back up possibly because, I mean, because as you said, the Americans only understand money. If well, Biden doesn't understand money, the people off. around him will understand money. But if okay. he's going to back off, like you said, if he can't get off the tiger, he's going to back off with our own policy, not the Russian policy. So the question is, it will take that not working. For, it's interesting. So you're, I mean, I, there's no re- use repeating it. You're saying he's he's hopped on this tiger and it's a, it's, it's a nasty, nasty ending. Because Putin himself, like everybody was questioning why he was doing this. So why did Putin do it? Putin did it for very simple. Uh, and I'll tell you, in the end, I mean, Howard, my, my view on this is very simple. You know, we have to realize something about this, first of all. The Russian economy today is about the size of that of Italy's. In other words, Russia's ability to invade and occupy Ukraine is like close to zero. Put that in perspective, Ukraine has a population of about 40 million people. We know from U.S. Army textbook, if you want to occupy a country of that size, <laughs> you need to have roughly around a million troops on the ground. The entire Russian army, standing army, is only 800,000 people. So from that point of view, I think it's wrong to say that Putin wanted to conquer, occupy Ukraine, and use that as a springboard to conquer the rest of Europe. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Okay. What Russia wanted all along, and then, you know, and by the way, it was not like, oh, well, he invaded Ukraine in February. It was not like it just happened spontaneously. The troops have been slowly deployed over the past year. And for that whole year, he's been saying he wanted just one thing. He wanted constitutional neutrality for Correct. Ukraine. It was simple as that. And by the way, when Ukraine became an independent state in 1991, its constitution actually said that Ukraine should be a neutral country. Just like Finland is not a member of NATO, nor is basically Sweden, nor is basically Austria. There are plenty, plenty of precedents for this. It was not until 2000 and basically 19, only three years ago, that, that basically Ukraine changed its constitution and said we want to become a NATO member. So I can understand that from a Russian standpoint, Ukraine becoming a NATO member means that NATO missiles will be basically sitting on Russian border, being able to fire missiles, and then will be able to land in Moscow in seven minutes. Got it. I can understand why Russia didn't want that. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what seemed like a pretty reasonable ask, why was it so difficult for Biden to give it to him? By the way, I'm not the only person who was saying this, because Kissinger back in 2014 said that constitutional neutrality for Ukraine is the most obvious solution to the problem in the region. So here we are, where you're saying, get ready for a 30%, you know, all things being equal, you can't get off the tiger, S&P needs to fall much further for the government to wake up to the economic crisis. Uh, America's down this path that they're thinking the sanctions are going to help. We're in a complete, pardon the pun, Mexican standoff with the Russians. The Ukraine has already fallen, basically, because of the propaganda war. Uh, 
we're, we're, we're subject to is off, meaning they decisively already won this battle. And I've, and I've read about the grain too, like they're contr- they're fighting to control that port of the Ukraine, which is like the huge export of grain. So forgetting nickel and oil, like it sounds like grain's the next big problem. Yeah. So in the end, everything will sell off, including energy. Like if we're going to fall 30%, you know, tech is already down 60, 70% on the growth side. Only the, only the major, uh, a few of the fangs left are holding up the indexes. So eventually energy succumbs to this too. People will just barf up stocks in, in whole, won't they? Sure. I mean, we just have to go into a recession. That, yeah. That's it. I mean, that will be the only way this thing is going to go full circle. By the way, there's another extra layer in here, which is equally important. And I can tell you this is very much the case, which is, in my view, this war between Russia and Ukraine is essentially a proxy war between the United States and China. Okay. There is no question. I'll tell you, like, you know, it's actually very interesting because you think about, you know, I did an interview with uh, Voice of America, okay, yesterday. I even got away with it. They actually uh, released the, uh, the interview. I actually said, if you think about the big difference between Trump and Biden, I would say the biggest difference in the end is this. You know, every American is right to think that China is a very dangerous adversary for the U.S., right? We're talking about, like, you know, if you believe in a multi, you know, basically unipolar world, you believe in U.S. domination, you know, the dollar is a reserve currency of the world forever, and that sort of thing, right? So if you think China would be a very powerful adversary that will give America a run for its money, then the last thing you want to do is to encourage the Chinese to join forces with the number third power, which is Russia, right? Now, this is the reason why under Trump, Trump did everything to stop the Russians and the Chinese from getting into bed. This is the reason why every time, you know, you ask Trump about Xi Jinping, he said, oh, Xi Jinping is a great man. He's my best friend. Every time we talked about Putin, he said, oh, Putin is a great man. He's my best friend. You know, Trump engaged in divide and rule, basically, strategy that managed to keep the Chinese and the Russians apart. Biden comes to power. <laughs> Guess what? The Chinese and the Russians are now like embracing each other. This is actually very, very interesting and important because let's think about this. China is primarily a manufacturing economy. Russia is a mining economy. A lot of synergy there. China is very strong in engineering. Russia is very strong in basic science. Can you imagine they joining forces? I mean, for example, in civil aviation, I'm sure they'll be able to give, if they can basically send, I mean, these are the only, the only three countries in the whole world that have actually send men into space. That's the United States, Russia, and China. Yep. You know, right now, China and Russia have developed hypersonic missiles that are like three years ahead of U.S. capability in this. I mean, can you imagine the two of them getting together and decide to really, you know, submit their partnership? This is another reason why you know what? Biden right now cannot afford to lose this war. Because if he loses this war, that's it. Okay, it's going to threaten the U.S. hegemony because this war has already resulted in China and Russia falling into each other's arms because after these economic sanctions, Russia will never trust the West ever again. I guarantee you. Interesting. Well, I wanted to hopefully get a few optimistic, but... under the surface, I keep saying, you know, thank goodness I've been screen watching and not really buying and kind of perplexed, but it feels like we've been in no man's land because valuations have been so high. And now that you have 
you know, rates going higher and no end in sight, it's hard for you to buy stocks. But knowing this macro picture as well, and your macro picture isn't so much about rates and inflation. Well, it is inflation, but it's more about the politics. Well, not so much the politics, but the geopolitical part, which I don't think American business, because Russia's only 4%, like you're saying, I think American business is just kind of thrown in with Biden and said, we're all about the sanctions. And the sanctions seem to be getting worse and worse. Uh, you can't use their KPMG. You can't, you know, not, you know, like you said, with oil. So I think the message here from you is quite simple. It's like more pain. You are watching the geopolitical situation, Russia and U.S. You don't see an end in sight just because both sides are dug in. So there should be more pain. Um, and so... So what's a long-term investor that's used to buying the index supposed to do? Just continue to just sit on their hands? I think, first of all, we have to recognize something, which is if you look at first quarter earnings, if we look at first quarter earnings S&P 500 companies, margins got hit across the board, by the way. Okay? There's no question. I mean, which is no, no surprise here. Corporate profit margin is under enormous pressure for lots of different reasons, as we all know. The only reason why profit growth was positive was because consumer household saving rate took a big dive in the first quarter, right? I mean, meaning that, you know what? Inflation was going up. Household was like, well, you know, listen, they haven't figured out how to make that adjustment, like how to basically spend less. So <laughs> they might even be spending more because they're afraid that price is going to go up even more. So let's basically buy now before prices go up tomorrow again. Right. So what I'm saying is that to begin with, the economy is already in a very tricky situation because every recession has been preceded by an erosion of profit margin. Because we all know, like the first thing that turns down is usually CapEx spending, inventory. And by the way, inventory basically, you know, was (laughs) drawn down big time in the first quarter, which itself is pretty basically uh, telling about where, where we are in the business cycle. I'm just telling you right now, it's like, well, right now, it's actually very funny because if you think about this, I, I actually did this uh, analysis recently for my blog, which is like, well, you know, if you go back to the last four or five recessions, like, were there any, like, signs on the wall that tell you a recession was coming? Guess what? All the economic indicators that, you know, Wall Street economists, traders look at every day, they were completely useless, right? If you look at non-farm payroll, you look at ISM, they were at best coincidental indicators. They were definitely not leading indicators. Housing was a bit of a leading indicator, but housing, you know, housing usually starts to slow like more than a year before we go into a recession. So that doesn't help you either in terms of timing the actual month of the recession. The only thing that does a pretty good job is the goddamn stock market. Okay. Now, why is the stock market particularly important at this juncture? I just told you, like, the only reason why corporate profit held up and that, in fact, analysts are actually revising up S&P 500 EPS for 2022 after the first quarter was because consumers actually, you know, save less, you know, dip into their saving in order to basically finance their spending. Right. Now, imagine what I'm telling you, the kind of situation with oil, stock market goes down 10%, 20% from here. All of a sudden, consumers say, holy shit, what just happened? All this, you know, capital gains that they thought they were sitting on, all of a sudden they pull back. If they pull back, given companies already experiencing, you know, compression in the profit margin, I'm telling you, you will see immediately a profit recession. Yep. And the stock market goes down some more. And then we'll go into recession. Yep. That's how it's going to work. 
you know, I think that is, I, I kind of feel like we are cooking that soup right now. And, and I think we're in it. I mean, I, I've been in the recession mine. My spending has changed over the years so much that I'm not even, I'm in a spending recession as it is. There's nothing for me to spend my money on. My kids are graduated and I'm being selfish. You know, I'm not the user here because I don't need to own stocks. I've been saying this to people for months. Like I take my risk in the venture market. What's confused me is how, you know, and you live in Israel in the center of, of this boom, how you get pitched wherever you go in a startup in Israel. Um, so the question will be, when do we see that slow down? And I think it's starting to happen. Just before we wrap up, you're out on your own. How do people find you? Because now you don't have the uh, mahogany desk and this stuff. So, so how do people find you and, and how do they get David Wu in their life? So first of all, I mean, I, I appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show because, I mean, after leaving Wall Street, I'm really discovering to what extent there's a whole world outside Wall Street that has Correct. to do with investing. <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, people like you, I mean, Howard, it's pretty amazing. I mean, meeting you was an eye opener because I realized like, you know what? Literally, like I felt like I was a frog looking at the sky, you know, from the bottom of well, you know, like sitting in Wall Street thinking that was, you know, the sky above you was, was the entire universe. Right. And now I realize it isn't, which is, which is amazing. Now, I also realize, and I think it's become very clear the last couple of years, I don't tell you, that retail investors have become a major force in the financial market. Correct. You know, to me, what's interesting is that, you know, you now have these two forces, like institutional investors on one hand and then retail investors on the other. The retail guys know nothing about Wall Street and Wall Street knows nothing about the retail. That's true. So what, I wanna, what I'm trying to do is to create a meeting place between Wall Street and Main Street. And honestly, you know, the way I want to go about doing this is this. I think we all know, like Wall Street, you know, in the last however many years has monopolized the creation and the dissemination of content. Okay. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the big Wall Street banks. We're talking about Bloomberg. We're talking about CNBC, right? I mean, they are in cahoots together and Wall Street Journal. So from that point of view, normal person looks at the content that comes out. It's like, well, this stuff is like complete gibberish. They don't understand. The honest truth is I think Wall Street content hasn't been accessible. It's only because Wall Street hasn't made it accessible. I want to basically make it accessible for everybody. So my whole mission is to make the best of Wall Street research accessible to everybody. And then until a year ago, I was leading the number one ranked macro strategy team on Wall Street. And I would say that at the end of the day, I've got a PhD in economics. I started my career at the IMF. I've got all the credential. But you know what? All that is bullshit in the end. <laughs> at the end of the day, if I cannot explain to everybody, correct, basically anybody, you know, about what really is going on, guess what? It's my fault and not his. Right. Okay? It's because I don't know my subject well enough that I cannot explain it to somebody. And this is what I want to do because I think we're now at this point that people are genuinely distrustful of governments, of Wall Street, of the elite. They want things to be explained to them. There are just too many conspiracy theories. But I want to basically put facts on the table, trying to explain two things. So this is the reason why I launched my YouTube channel. Forget about my, my blog even. I mean, if people want to find me, first of all, look for me on my free YouTube channel. If you like what I say, then you can probably check out That's my smart. blog. 
I should have done the same thing. I think starting on YouTube for someone like you, if I were to give you advice and you'd kind of ask for it, I would say I'd look at Raul Paul, who's a macro guy like yourself. And it was when he went to YouTube because your views, you take away everything. You need to be able to tell a story. And you've weaved some good stories for me today in that no one's talking about what they really should be talking about. It's like, when are we going to bend and say these, you know, Russia's already kind of won and we need to save the Americans at this time. And that's the consumer and corporation as much as we may have hate saving them, but like these sanctions aren't going to work. So, so YouTube search David Wu at YouTube, find you for free. I think the free YouTube is genius because then you can always charge for less, which is like, Hey, I can get all the David I want on YouTube, well, I just need to see his ideas and just directionally how he's thinking without listening to 20 minute videos. So good on you. I think YouTube, the trick for you will be just keeping your momentum because, you know, getting used to seeing no views is hard. And I think most people quit. So you're going to have to get used to looking up at the sky and like seeing zeros. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's, it's a game of deposits. It's like starting a bank in an inflationary environment, you are up against the inflation of everybody competing for views. So you're going to have to pace yourself. It would be my only recommendation. Well, I think you're exactly right. I mean, there are hundred million creators, content creators on YouTube. I mean, just amazing. I mean, it's definitely, it's a long game. It's a long game. David Wu, we search him on YouTube, David, and how's life in Israel for you? Good? Absolutely love it. Love it, love it, love it. It's a wonderful country. And by the way, this country has lived through turmoil. So as the world goes into turmoil, yeah. <laughs> one country that knows how to navigate, and that's Israel. Well, that is a great way to end it. We will check back in here. And uh, I appreciate your time today, my man. Thank you very much for having me again. The smooth stylings of David Wu. Whoa. It's not Wu Berg or Wu Steen. It's just <laughs> Wu-steen. Kept, the na- kept the Wu. Kind of cool to be a Chinese, <laughs> have a Chinese name in uh, yeah. Israel. Wu Steen. That's probably a country where you look up Wu in the yellow pages or the white pages and you don't see a thousand Wu's. No, yeah. you don't. Yeah. You see one. Yeah. Maybe two. Anyways, very animated guy. And he's a large man. Not like fat, but a, a large man. And, um, I just love global macro. Politics gets into it. You could feel his politics. He's definitely got his own political slant. But some very important points for people that like to buy the dip is sometimes this dip, you're buying something that there is no bottom in. Right. And it can go on much further than you think. And I think that's the point. I think we are not talking about what could be really what we're supposed to be talking about yet, which is why the market's falling, which is, the damn conflict, which is, you know, hitting, you know, a whole new world order, which affects corporate profits in the end. And that's where we're finally going to get to. So uh, kind of a bummer of a topic, obviously, but, you know, there is a panic either in the middle or just beginning. And I wanted to get ahead of it with some views from people that we don't normally would hear from. So uh, that's it. Uh, Stay tuned once a week. You can search my name, Howard Lindzen, on Spotify or YouTube or Google. Uh, hit panic with friends, subscribe. Uh, you'll get one of these a week. We talk to investors, traders, entrepreneurs, founders, venture capitalists, try and get a little bit ahead of the markets. Thanks everybody. Thanks Knut. Thanks stock twits.
Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.